We're continuing on in the great book of Luke. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That is really the theme of this great book. And we're going to see that very clear today in chapter 7 of this great book. We're going to be focusing on verses 36 through verse 50, the end of the chapter, specifically the story where Jesus meets an unwelcomed guest. Um, Who is welcome at your house? Who is not welcome at your house? Think about that for a minute. I can think of a couple people that are not welcome at my house. Door-to-door salesmen. You're sitting there watching TV comfortably. You hear a knock on the door. It's just kind of a weird time. Huh? Somebody trying to sell you something. Most likely something you absolutely do not need, right? Door-to-door salesmen. Then there's the other group that is going door-to-door to to convince you to join their church. Um, Usually when I meet them, I let them know quite clearly that I am very happy with my current church. I happen to be the pastor of that church, (laughs) so (laughs) I'm not going to change at any time. Uh, They're not going to convince me, and no, I'm not interested in their literature, okay? However, there are people that come knocking on my door that I am open and I want to welcome them. And those are when you have the Girl Scouts come to your door with the cookies. You know what I'm talking about? I am a big sucker for that sort of a thing. I cannot say no to the cookies. So especially those mints, those chocolate mints, best ever, right? And so I usually purchase more than any human being needs at that particular time. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe in your home, maybe at a meal over at somebody else's home where somebody has been there that maybe isn't welcome? Or maybe you've been in a situation where you felt unwelcome in that situation. Think about that a little bit. Today we're going to be in a story where a lady shows up who is definitely, especially in the home that she entered, she is very much unwelcome. It's the home of a Pharisee. Now, that's where Jesus is in this story. The Pharisees, we're learning a little bit about them in the book of Luke. We've already met them. Pharisees were proper. They obeyed all the rules. In fact, they added a few of their own just to make sure everybody was following them. And Jesus came along and said, you know what? It's not about following all the rules It's about following me. They didn't like that. Pharisees were separatist. They said, if someone's a sinner, do not associate with that person. Do not. Keep as far away from that person as possible. Jesus said, I'm going to welcome that person into relationship. I'm going to welcome them as my friends. In fact, they labeled him a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And in their minds, that was the worst thing you could call somebody. And I think when they said that to Jesus, you know what I think he he thought? I think he thought, thank you. I am a friend to tax collectors and sinners. And you know what? That's why I came here. I want people to know me. I want them to have a realistic view of who God is, and I want them to come into relationship. So... He saw that as a compliment. They saw it as the ultimate insult. 
Pharisees were experts. They thought they knew everything about Scripture, about everything else in life. And Jesus loved to kind of needle them. You'll see this sometimes. He'll say things like, didn't you know that the Scripture said this? Or haven't you read? And he would just say those little things just to kind of get under their skin a little bit. Of course they knew. They knew the Old Testament. But they were missing the big point, weren't they? The big point was the coming Savior. So Jesus, he irritated them, he offended them, and I think he was beginning to threaten them a little bit. In the first part of this chapter, he does a couple of miracles. He's been doing them, but he heals a centurion's servant just simply by saying the word. Didn't even need to go there. He just spoke it. He said, be healed, and the servant was healed. That's power. Then he's traveling along, and he's coming into a town. Nain was the name of this village, and people are coming out of the town carrying a person who had died. It was the son of a widow, and it was the only person she had in life. And Jesus stopped the procession, and he says, rise. And this son got up, was raised from the dead. Now, people were beginning to hear about this Jesus, and they were beginning to look to him as the leader. And they were beginning to listen to him because he, he was the one teaching with authority, not the Pharisees. And so I really believe that they were beginning to see him as a threat. So it's interesting that in this passage, he's going to be in the home of a Pharisee. So let's read the first three verses here of chapter 7, verse 36 through 38. Jesus welcomes those who worship him. Let's read this. It says, One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them, Jesus' feet. This is a Pharisee's home. It's interesting, Jesus has already been in the home of tax collectors in chapter 5. Matthew, whom he called to be his disciple, he met with them, and it was the Pharisees who were looking in and going, hmm, there he is, eating with tax collectors and sinners again. Now he's in the home of Pharisees. So why? Why did, why did this Pharisee invite Jesus? A lot of speculation. Was he, was he an admirer of Jesus? Maybe, but... As we read this passage, I get the feeling he wasn't necessarily an admirer of Jesus. Was he seeking to trap Jesus and hand him over to the leaders? I don't think this would have been the best venue probably to do that. Maybe he just wanted to listen and learn some things or maybe hear Jesus teach a little bit. In that time, in the first century, there were small study groups called habarims that were held in homes for the purpose of learning. And it was very common in Jesus' time for Pharisees to invite these traveling speakers who would speak in the synagogues to invite them into their home 
So this was something that was done regularly. Jesus, we know from Luke, had been speaking in the synagogues um, and teaching, and so he was well known, and the Pharisees would have known him. So quite possibly he was invited by this Pharisee into his home to just listen to what he had to say and to teach. It says they reclined at the table in verse 36. When we think of that, we think of a table, chairs, sitting around, relaxing. In Middle East, in that first century culture, it, it was very different from that. It would have been a very low table, if a table at all. It might have been just on the ground. And you would have reclined. The traditional way to do that would have been on their left side, propped up on their left elbow with some, a cushion there, using their right hand to eat with. And their feet would have been positioned away from the table because the feet were considered unclean. So you want to get those as far away from the table as possible. So you get this picture that in their culture, there was no such thing as fast food. When they did meals, it was a welcoming thing. It was a relational thing. It went on for hours. They wanted you to feel welcomed in their home. So here they are reclining at the table, and then something's going to change. Some, in walks this woman. Look at verse 37 and 38. The way it describes her, it's a woman who had lived a sinful life. We don't even have a name for her. All we know about her is that, the descriptor. She had lived a sinful life. Most likely, most theologians feel like this was maybe a prostitute or a woman with loose moral standards. People knew about her. That's what it's referring to, this sinful woman. What's interesting to me is there was kind of a double standard in their society and maybe a little bit, you could argue even today, that men were never recognized as sinful men by their sexual behavior. Only women were in Jesus' culture. So in walks this woman, probably known in the community, and you can imagine now she's in the home of a Pharisee. Wow, what is going on? So how did she end up in the home? Well, in their culture, the doors would commonly be left open so that people on the street could see in, they could hear what maybe was being talked about at the table. We've already seen this back in chapter 5 with Matthew and the tax collectors. The Pharisees were on the outside looking in and listening in to the conversation and the meal there. And probably that's what was going on here. She was probably walking by. It says she had actually heard that he was going to be there. She sought him out. She's there because of Jesus. Very much unwelcome. And I love the picture that we have here of humility, the description it gives of her in verses 37 and 38. It just, she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed his feet, and poured perfume on them. All of those acts are acts of humility. There's the tears. Martin Luther calls this heart water. Isn't that beautiful? She was so moved by Jesus and his compassion and what she knew to be true of him that she started, she was just weeping. The word there is, it's an imperfect tense, meaning it, 
this was going, it was continuous. It was going on. It must have been very awkward if you were the host of this event. Here's this woman showing up and just continually weeping. It says that she wept his feet. The word wet means to flood. That's the picture. She was flooded with the reality of the kind of person she was and who Jesus was. She, all this is happening at his feet. In the ancient Near East, only the lowest of slaves touched the feet of another. That's why John the Baptist said to his followers one day, he said, I'm not worthy to even untie the sandals on Jesus' feet. That's who I am in relationship to him. He was speaking there and saying, I am the lowest of low. I am the lowest of servants in this culture. Then it says that she used her hair to wipe his feet of her tears. And what we don't see and maybe we don't understand in that culture, if married a woman never took down her hair in public, they always wore their hair up. According to the Talmud, a woman could be divorced for letting down her hair in the presence of another man. It was seen as an act of intimacy. It was seen as something totally inappropriate in public in the presence of another man. This is what was going on. Then there's the mention of perfume. Women commonly wore a perfume flask suspended from a cord around their neck. This was just part of what they wore. It was important to them. It was part of their attire. And she takes that and she puts it on Jesus' feet. And it says she's kissing his feet. Again, it's this imperfect tense. It's just this continuous. It's going on. It's awkward now. It's going on. It's not stopping. Jesus isn't stopping it either. If you notice, he doesn't say knock it off. He's welcoming her worship. Now, there is another account of anointing of Jesus, and that comes later in the other Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and John, it mentions the anointing of Jesus by Mary, the sister of Lazarus, in Bethany, later on in Jesus' ministry. This is not that. In that story, it says what they were so upset about then was the, the, the price of the perfume. of what they, Judas Iscariot, interestingly enough, said... Think what could have, could have been done with the money wasted. It could have been given to the poor. And Jesus says, no, sorry. She's preparing my body for burial. This was closer to the death of Jesus Christ. So this is not the same account. This, she was called out because it was expensive behavior. This is scandalous behavior that this woman is being called out for. A woman greeting a man in public, a woman touching a man in public, especially a woman of this kind. This is just scandalous, Jesus. I can't believe that you're allowing this to happen. But it's more than that. It's risky. It's risky behavior. She could be thrown out of the house. She could be humiliated. She could even be imprisoned for what she's doing. And think of it this way, too. She had really nothing to gain. It's not like she's coming to Jesus with an illness, and Jesus is curing her of the illness, and then she leaves being cured. She doesn't have a demon, so the demon's getting cast out, and she's leaving. She's simply coming to Jesus 
worshiping him with nothing to gain. She's willing to risk, risk it all, but she couldn't risk not showing her gratitude to Jesus. That's the kind of worship that she has here. It's costly, it's continuous, it's scandalous, and it's risky, but she has to do it because she loves our Lord. Why? Why did she do this? We don't know. We don't know what her past connection with Jesus was. All we know is that she saw something in him that she wanted to show gratitude for. In verses 39 to 43, we see that Jesus welcomes those who are unrighteous rather than self-righteous. Look at verse 39. When the Pharisee, okay, this is all going on at Jesus' feet with this woman. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, hmm, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story, Jesus said. Here it is. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owned him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. Makes total sense, doesn't it? You have judged correctly, Jesus said. You've judged correctly, Simon. So Simon's response is, he's more shocked, I think, at Jesus' reaction to the woman than he is at the woman's reaction to Jesus. He's more shocked that this prophet doesn't do something about this. And in his mind, he's thinking, he makes two assumptions, I think, in his statement. Number one is that Jesus is not a prophet. Because if he was, the second assumption is he doesn't know what kind of woman this is. Both assumptions wrong. Jesus is a prophet, he's God's son. And he knows full well what kind of woman this is. And he welcomes her. Jesus' response, he tells the story. Jesus does this often. And what he does with parables, and we're going to see this in Luke, is that he likes to put us, he likes to make us make a decision. Where do you fit in the story? Where are you in this story? So he tells the story of the two debtors. Both of them owed large debts, and they were unable to pay. Ephesians 2.1, this is the gospel, isn't it? Both of them owed large debts, unable to pay. That's us. We were dead, Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. We were unable to pay that debt, and it was a huge one. Both of them received grace in the form of paid debt. Neither of them did anything to earn this. That's what grace is. It was simply the love of this money owner who rightfully owned the money, rightfully could have called them on it, but he forgave their debt. Both received grace in the form of paid debt. 1 Peter 1, 
verses 18 to 19. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. That means purchased. From the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It was his blood that he paid that price for you and me freely by his grace. Nothing we did to deserve it. Both could have been tossed into prison, rightfully so, by the one who loaned them that money and that they owed the debt to. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We owed the debt. We have received this free offer to be purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. We can be saved from this prison if we receive that. There was one difference, however, that Jesus points out, and this is the key to the whole thing. The difference was the amount of the debt. 500 denarii, 50 denarii. Denarii was one day's wage, whatever that would be. So you're talking about someone who owed 500 days wages worth, a year and a half, versus someone who owned 50, a month and a half. They're both significant, they're both a big debt, but there is a difference between the two. And the question he poses to Simon is, who's going to love that person the more? And the answer is, the one who received the greatest amount of forgiveness. See, the principle is God's great love comes from a gratitude of great forgiveness. What he was saying without really saying it is this, Simon, I think you put yourself in the position of someone whose debt is very small. In fact, you would probably say you don't own anybody anything. Whereas this woman sees herself as the one owing the 500 denarii or more. Your gratitude is zero because you're self-righteous. Her gratitude is great because she is unrighteous and she knows she needs a savior. She knows that she can't bring anything to the table. And the question for you and me is where do we put ourselves in the story? When we look at God's grace, we've been forgiven. As believers, we have entered into relationship with him. We've been forgiven of our sins. The question is really for you and me is where do we see ourselves in this story? Is it a great debt or is it a little one? Oh, you know, I wasn't that bad before I came to Jesus. I, you know, I was a good person. Or do we see it for what it really is, a large debt? It's a lifetime of debt. It's not just a year and a half, by the way. When we talk about what we owe Jesus, it's a lifetime of debt that he freed us from. And that's where this heart of thanksgiving needs to come from. Jesus welcomes those who love him in gratitude for his forgiveness. Look what he does in the rest of the chapter. This is so beautiful. I love it. He turned towards the woman. She was at his feet. <laughs> so he's turning towards her. 
and said to Simon, speaking to Simon, the Pharisee, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. Oops. She wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. Wow. Oops. Bad. Bad protocol there, Simon. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Do you see this woman, Simon? Do you really see this woman? Or do you see her from the heart of a Pharisee? There's a great quote in one of the commentaries. It says, Simon could not see the woman as she then was because he was looking at her as she had been. 2 Corinthians 5.17 speaks of who we are in Christ, forgiven. It says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You see, the way Jesus saw her was the new, not the old. All Simon could see of this woman was what she was, a sinful woman. Yes, very true. Then Jesus simultaneously rebukes Simon for his lack of a welcome and commends or approves this woman for the way that she welcomed him. And look what he does. Step by step, he takes Simon reviewing when he entered the house how Simon welcomed him versus how this woman did. Commonly, they would either have a servant there to wash your feet or they would give you some water, a bowl, a basin, and a towel, and you could wash your feet for the dinner. Apparently, that did not happen at all. But Jesus said, this woman has been washing my feet with her tears and drying my feet with her hair the water and the towel that you didn't give me, Simon, she did. Then he says, you didn't give me a kiss. Now what he's referring to there is a welcoming kiss, the kiss of shalom, the kiss of peace on both sides of the cheek. I wasn't greeted that way, Simon, by you, but this woman continually has been kissing my feet since I've been here. Simon, you did not put oil on my head. In that culture, it was common to put anointing the head with some inexpensive olive oil or something like that. It was pretty common. She has anointed my feet with something very precious and very costly to her, this perfume. And the other thing that he doesn't say but is true, Simon, you see me as a false prophet. She sees me for who I really am, God in the flesh. Her many sins, verse 47, have been forgiven. He doesn't excuse her sins. He's not saying, oh, that's no big deal. Yeah, it was. That was a huge deal. Her many sins have been forgiven. He accepts the woman not in spite of her sins, but with them. He forgives. As her great love has shown, her love did not earn his forgiveness. Her faith 
earned her forgiveness. Her love was the expression of that. Starts with faith, comes out in gratitude and love. And that's, it was, her love has shown this. 1 John 4, verses 9 to 10 tell us this. This is how God showed His love amongst us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, it's not our love that earned God's favor. We simply respond in faith, and love is the gratitude that comes out of that. He loved us first. He sent His Son for us. When we respond in faith, then that love is just that response. It's a beautiful thing. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You see, what Jesus does here, He subtly turns the Pharisees' claims of, you know, their big thing was they felt that they were most pleasing to God. They felt like if anybody honored God and pleased God, it was them because they were doing all the right things. And what he basically has done here is he's turned this upside down and said her love and devotion to God is much greater than your devotion and love for God. Words to the woman, look at verses 48 to 50. This is just beautiful. Now it's time to talk to her directly. So he just says to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests begin to say amongst themselves, they're all watching this. They're at the table. They're there with Simon. Probably many of them were Pharisees or people that were well-known in the community, wealthy. Hmm. Your sins are forgiven? What is going on there? They begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? What? It's ridiculous. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. There it is. We're saved by our faith, right? Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. It's interesting. He doesn't say God will forgive your sins. He forgives her sins. He's claiming to be God. I am God. I can forgive your sins, and that's what's happening right here. He's not bestowing a blessing on her. He's saying, it's done, because that's who I am. I am the Lord. Your faith has saved you. Faith is the cause of forgiveness. Gratitude and love is the evidence or the result of that. Then he says, go in peace. Shalom. Romans 5.1. Being justified by God, we have justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Starts with faith, being justified, being set right with God. Once that's done, we have peace with him. That shalom that Jesus was talking about here. In conclusion, some things to consider. Jesus welcomes everyone even those who maybe even by us are not welcome jesus welcomes everyone that's the story of the book of luke salvation is open to everyone in fact i would say this the only ones who are not available to his graciousness is those who are too proud or too self-righteous to receive it those are the people 
But Jesus basically says, I can't do anything for you because you feel like you've got it all covered on your own. Good luck with that. It's not going to work. Jesus welcomes everyone. You see, Simon welcomed Jesus into his home, but not into his heart. The woman welcomed Jesus into her heart. And Jesus welcomed her into a relationship with him. So the question is, who do you identify with in the story? The large debt or the little debt? Luke 5.31, I spoke on this a few weeks back, a couple weeks back, and here's the verse. Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Do you see yourself as forgiven much or forgiven little? I think sometimes as Christians, especially those of us that have been saved for a long time, it's easy to fall into the category of thinking, well, I wasn't all that bad to start with. And we lose sight of God's grace because we feel like, well, I'm saved, but, you know, I kind of was a pretty good person anyway. What Jesus wants us to hear is, look, my grace for you is there, and all of you have been forgiven a huge debt. There is no such thing as a little debt here. That's the point. And so what God wants us to know and what he wants us to hear this morning is, what is our heart like, our gratitude? Are we grateful for a forgiveness of a large debt? C.S. Lewis has a quote. He says, the closer you get to the light, the more dirt you see on your shirt. I just love that. Yes. The more I see my Savior, the more I realize how, how grateful I am that He forgave me. Why me? I don't know. But He loves me. I, that's the story of this woman, isn't it? She's just grateful. She's just grateful to be there. The tears are flowing out. She's not proud about anything at this point. She's kissing somebody's feet, for goodness sakes. But that's the kind of worship she has and the kind of gratitude. As we prepare for communion today, I just want you to know if you are a believer in the Lord, you're welcome to this table. You're welcome. And my prayer today is that you would be overwhelmed with God's love for us, that you would be reminded by this story of just how great our debt was and how great our forgiveness is in Him. That's why we come to the table, to remind ourselves of that and to be brought to that all the time. John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. He was a slave trader, for goodness sakes. He traded people to be slaves, but he came to know the Lord. And he had a famous quote, maybe some of you know this one, and I love this. He said, there's two things I know about Jesus. There's two things, actually he said, two things I know, period. Number one, I'm a great sinner. Number two, I have a great savior. That's the story of communion today. Let's come together.